and welcome to series two of My Life in Design, brought to you by the DBA and design-focused PR agency, Red Setter. I'm Claire Blyers, co-founder of Red Setter, and in series two, I'm speaking to 10 people shaping the world of design, about what first inspired them and how they formed their careers. This week, I am joined on the podcast by Tony Brook, co-founder of Spin. They've created brands for organisations such as UCA, BBC Creative, Mubi, the streaming service, Ministry of Sound, Apple, the Design Museum, the list goes on. They've also created their own art exhibitions and explore the space between art and design. But there's a lot to talk about. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Thank Tony. you very much. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So can we go back to when... You first realised design was a thing, or maybe go back to your childhood, assuming that's when you first realised, maybe it wasn't. When did you first realise that design was something you could base a career around? Well, I would have been about 14. I'd always been interested in art from a a young age, Mm. and I was encouraged from a really early age. One of my tutors at at junior school realised that I wasn't going to become a mathematician anytime soon, but was incredibly into art and would send me out to playground during maths classes to do kind of drawings of the surrounding area and stuff. (laughs) So, and, and would talk to me about composition and artists and things so I I was very I was very that I would have only been about so six or seven what an unusual teacher yeah actually spot that in you so early on and then really encouraged that it's brilliant yeah it's fantastic when I went to secondary school that's up in Yorkshire yeah I was I was really encouraged in my artistic pursuits I seemed to be quite advanced for the age I don't know where where this particularly came from so is that drawing painting side of things yeah 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 I remember going to visit my uncle's house, my dad's brother, mm-hmm. my father's brother, and he drew birds with scraper in scraper board, which is basically a black, black kind of board with, that you would scrape with a pen. Okay. And it would reveal the white underneath, and so he would draw yeah. birds, and they were beautiful. I couldn't believe anybody I knew drew something so beautiful, and that really that really set a fire on me. Oh wow! And then when I got to about fourteen, my mum sat me down and said that. You know, obviously art was where I was going yeah. and explained to me that I could either be a starving artist or I could <laughs> potentially earn a living being what she called a commercial artist, what we would now call a graphic designer. And she showed me a couple of examples of the kinds of work that they did. And starving didn't appeal so I, <laughs> at the time, so I decided that uh, I'd, uh, well, at least she, I'd, I wanted to follow art. I loved Things from I don't know. Even at that age, I loved I loved Leonardo da Vinci and Picasso, and I yeah. really I had really eclectic sort of taste. But actually, being a fan of art and realizing that you could make some money out of it, quite different things, aren't they? So yeah, they are. I think you could you could you could do it either way. But yeah. I, I think that at least I got the support of my family to to go to art college yeah how fantastic your mum realized that commercial yeah. art existed yeah i think most people are in that situation where yeah their parents don't tell them to go and get a proper job i did have a taste of a proper job before i, I went to college <laughs> i uh, did some time in a factory did you what, what factory it, it was basically a f- making foam That's... for things so I, was, I was lugging around these great big lumps of foam and oh my god what have you, and painting factory walls and things and yeah. stuff like that. So I'd, I had some idea. That was, that was definite motivation. Yeah, definitely. You know, for, <laughs> for what I, 
you know, making a success out of being a designer. And, and I remember my, my ambition, my the sum total of my ambition was to be paid to design something. Yeah. That would, that seemed to be the ultimate, you know. So that was, so you were, so did you do what, O-level art design, was that a thing at school? CSE. Right, okay. Yes, and I got a very good score at that. And yeah. I, I nearly got packed off to do carpet design at Crossley's Carpets, as, as was. Interesting. Which is a massive employer in Halifax, but I wasn't really interested in that. And yeah. So I did, I did pretty well at college and then went to Somerset, to Taunton, Oh, lovely place to go yeah. to art well, school, yeah. That's, that's basically why I want to go. It's as far away from... I, I, I like Halifax. It wasn't because I just yeah. wanted another experience and that was, seemed like a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. And they did illustration and I was interested in illustration at the time. But then when I started illustration, I started getting interested in photography as well, image making. Yeah. And then I realised that if I was a graphic designer, yes. then I then I could be involved in all of the subjects I could be involved in photography, in illustration, yeah. and in typography and design. Yeah, it's a really good point. It combines everything, doesn't it? So you don't have yeah. to just go down one route. Yeah. I saw at that point I started getting interested in more in, in design and realizing that I'd actually been kind of collecting graphic design in one form or another since I was about five years old. I started off really? with, with stamps. Yeah. And I, f- I found the a few years ago, I found my stamp collection. And I'd been organizing my stamps, not by financial cost to me, although it wasn't very much as buying my pocket <laughs> yeah. money. It was, it was by aesthetic value. Yeah, okay. And that's where I first realized that people designed things truly when I, when I really understood that they designed things. Yeah, that's true. I do think design of stamps is a good tangible one. Yeah. Matt and Dom from Baxter and Bailey, who were on the podcast a few weeks ago, they designed the Christmas stamps. Yeah. And it's really handy actually being able to talk to my, like, my family at Christmas about what designers and yeah. saying, we'll see those Christmas stamps they were designed by. Yeah. It turns it into something tangible. Yeah, it does. So, so that was definitely a moment realizing that actually the, 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 the stamps that I saw when I was really young were by David Gentleman, who, who, who I know now quite well and Brilliant. became a bit of a friend, which is crazy. It sort of started there. So when my my mom, when I was fourteen, started talking to me about design, yeah. that's what it meant to me at yes. that point. Was I'd, I'd seen these stamps and, and know, knew that someone had made them look beautiful, and that that was a thing. Yeah. So how did you move from studying at CSE to actually going to going to art college? Did you did you supply, did you apply to loads of them or no no just to one and I got accepted. It was it, but like I say, I was I was quite good at drawing. Mm-hmm. So that was something yes. that anybody understood. Yeah, you know that I was I was reasonable at drawing. So you don't have to be good at drawing. No, it helps. you really don't. You yeah. really don't. It just at that point in that stage with my family and my, you know, yeah. in the situation I was in, it, it helped that I could draw. And so, uh, but you're quite right. You don't have to draw. You got to have an imagination. Really. Yeah. That's that's the qualifying. Yes. You know, imagination. Yeah. So I keep hearing imagination and curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, th- I think that um, if you have those two components, then you're, you have a very good foundation in being a designer. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been in Somerset for? I was in Somerset for two years, and then I moved to London. And was that with a job, or did you? No. I, how did you I, get your first role? Was that 
that was oh, that was outrageously fortunate. I well, I, I could tell a little bit of story about that. Yeah. But, but so when I was at college, I asked one of the tutors if we could do something like a record cover. Yeah. Because I was mad into music, yeah, particularly definitely. punk at that time, but I was really into music. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you know how many people come out of college every year? And I said, no. And he said, a number, a lots, basically. Yeah. And he said, do you know how many do record sleeves? I said, no. And he said, about four. Wow. And I thought, oh, all right then. So he said, that's why we're not doing it. And then I saw him about, I don't know, four or five years later, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm designing record sleeves. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It was, <laughs> so what happened was I, I was going to see studios with my, my portfolio. Yeah. And I'd been recommended by someone to go and see this particular studio. Uh-huh. And so I, I dragged my, my portfolio up, this, up four flights of stairs. Yeah. And was, um, just got staggered to the top floor and this guy pushed past me and slammed the door behind him followed by a few expletives and right. went up there and I was like oh wow and he just quit his job and I walked in with my portfolio and they needed somebody to help them oh my god do some, <laughs> do some work. That's so, so about a week later so I'd, I'd I'd been looking for a while you know and then yeah. and then so about a week later I got a call saying come in and help us with this project so where was that what studio it was a shoot studio called shoot that tiger okay which yeah. were which were big in the music industry yeah, in that, yeah, in that time and then i i stayed for a week and then another week and that turned into about six years brilliant that's um, good timing yeah and you know there are a couple of pieces of advice make friends with people yeah make tea for people be yes. humble and work hard and then you'll be all right, you know, because yeah. people, if once, once people, you, you, you know, nothing, I was happy doing anything that they asked me to do. Yeah. And really, I mean, I did it all with a smile on my face and a song in my heart because I, I knew that, that I wanted to be there. And then I got a, a follow on that with another job in doing design for record sleeves again. And I could. I was basically at that point. I was a, a record cover designer, but, I, but the way I've been trained and my interests were always broader than that. And okay. there was a particular moment. I was going to Virgin Records, and I was walking in the front door, and Iggy Pop, who's one of my <laughs> absolute heroes, sort of walked past me again. Oh, another cool. a revolving door moment, <laughs> and um, I looked at him. And I thought, "Wow, you look really old." He's then I thought, then, but... then I thought, yeah, I probably always looked at him. And he's still match. going now. This is like yeah. 30 years later. And then I thought, I'm too old to be doing this. I'm too old to be going designing record sleeves. I need to do something else. And about a year, <laughs> maybe, maybe even three years later, it never went away that feeling of like, right, I need to get out. I need to do something. It didn't happen straight away. But yeah, okay. Which um, are your favorite sleeves that you designed though? Are there any? I don't know. I did. I, the, my favorite sleeve was the first time I ever used a computer and it's it's just funny which is which is called inner city paradise remixed which is if you look it up on google it's for a, a chicago house band that's what I say the house track yeah, yeah. it's that like classic late 90s house that yeah. kicked off the whole thing yeah, yeah absolutely i love that track 
So Inner City Paradise Remix is you'd, you'd, if you listen to it, you'll know some of the tracks definitely. Yeah, and anyway, that, that was that was after I'd had like three or four weeks of training on this new fangled thing called an Apple Mac, mm-hmm. and they taught you how to stretch type and to squish it and to put it round circles and things like all things that were were incredibly difficult to do by hand. Yeah which I'd had to do before if I wanted to do that. So so I, I chucked it all on this this sleeve. Yeah. And so that that holds fun fun memories. But <laughs> I did I did like artwork for things like Wham Club Tropicana and I did a logo oh, for Duran awesome. Duran. Which these all seem really embarrassing to me. But Club Tropicana is uh, a classic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah that so the the record sleeves thing, I I just I just I needed I needed to keep I needed to, to keep doing that because that's what I was known for. And then when we set up a spin, I was I was just feeling like I needed it. I needed to a new challenge, and so I needed that when to you do set something. Up spin, you were at Shoot the Tiger. For no, no, not Shoot the Tiger. Years. So I went Shoot the Tiger. Then I went to Icon. So it was okay. a place called Icon, and then a place called Crimson. Mm-hmm. And I basically went there because I was offered lots of money to go there, and I kind of regretted it yeah. because it didn't have quite the the design culture that I wanted, but it turned out to be a fantastic opportunity to work on other things yeah. and also for me to develop my own clients. Yeah. So I I got to work on different things. So I started working for jeans companies and things like that. Oh, cool. Okay. So, and, and I made that happen, really. I went yeah. I took the portfolio to see these people and got the jobs and it, it, it was really good. So Did you just, like, give them a call and I, yeah. you get in the first place? Yeah, just... exactly. And so I started to make these opportunities happen. So I started getting more more confident about that yeah. that side of things, which most most designers need to, at some stage, be interested in that, but most aren't. It's such a skill, and I think that it could be – we are talking about this in the day at work – repositioning the word the word sales sounds like you're trying yeah. to sell something that they don't want but the the idea that you can go and persuade people that yeah. to look at your work and all that kind of stuff it's so important yeah for sure to be able to get in there in the first place people to look at your work and then then think yeah i'd like to work with you yeah it's, it's, it's difficult to to start cold calling what else are you going to do mm, but i mean we're lucky but, now that that we get calls but i'm sure but yeah. there, there was a long time where I mean, the, the good thing about working with record sleeves is it is that record companies were this is back in the day were mm-hmm. interested in seeing portfolios because they would always have projects coming up and they would be looking for people to work on those projects. So it was quite good. So even when we set up spin, yeah, it was I was still doing record sleeves and uh, you know for, for quite cool artists. It was quite nice. Yeah, it's quite nice work. We did a lot of dance records and That's stuff my, like that yeah my love yeah so dance was, house anything like yeah. that still still do but yeah really cool things to get involved in yeah so it then was it then was a case of trying to expand that out but and we you know from from just doing record sleeves and we we started to do that and it started to pay off and we got more and more diverse work so was but there a point when you left your job and set up spin yeah, it was in the middle of a recession and my boss told me I was absolutely insane, but I figured that <laughs> if I could survive then, then definitely I, everything else is going to be easy. I think it's a really good time to set up a business in the middle of a recession. Because mm. if you, you if you set everything up with that sort of market conditions, yeah. you're going to be able to ride anything. It's true, yeah. isn't it? So. Yeah. 
if so, you set it up when everything's going well and yeah. the session hits, you panic. Yeah. So we 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 set up and we were doing I was doing a lot of work that I didn't particularly want to do or that 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 wasn't the direction I want to go in. But the first thing is survival, basically, yeah. especially in that kind of environment. So I read this pamphlet that said that most businesses go out of business in the first six months and then a year yeah. and then 18 months. So after maybe two years, I thought, right, this is this has got enough legs in it and enough yeah. we I need to make some positive decisions. And so I resigned quite a few of the clients that I didn't think were were the best that we were doing that were where I wanted to go essentially. Yeah. And we started to work for clients that were more where I wanted to be. A brave move, but really important one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the thing is that you you can make the realization that you can make decisions is a big moment. Definitely. But you don't have to take everything that you're it's that theory that the clients that you say yes to today are they going to be the business that you have tomorrow? And it sounds really yeah. obvious, but sometimes it's tempting just to say, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do that and we'll yeah. do that, but you don't have to. Well, I think that I go into every single relationship with every single client that ever comes through, the, whatever it is, thinking that I can do something great. Yeah. And thinking that they, their only reason they're here is because they want something great. Yeah. And until I'm disabused of that, that's that is the <laughs> yeah. attitude that that I go into it with, and uh, that's the only way I can do it. Yeah, I like it. So if it works out, that's fantastic, and we're both we're both happy, and we have a lot of long relationships with clients that yeah. I'm really proud of. So yeah, that's important. So how did you tell me how you started Spin? Was it did you get a desk somewhere? Did you do it from no, home? What's we did the... it. We did it from a flat in Streatham. It was a bit strange. So I was I was a mom for about three or four months, and then Trish, my partner, gave her job up, and we would do this thing where we get a phone call, and I'll just see if he's here for you. Yeah. Are you here? And then <laughs> we were literally from a one bedroom, a two bedroom flat in Streatham. One, well, okay. one bedroom was our bedroom, and the other bedroom was the studio. Yeah. But already, right from the start, we we saw ourselves as a studio. So Trish though, gave a job up as well. That's a yeah. This, this has got to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird thinking back all those years, but yeah. And and then I think I think after a few years, if you if you if you have an idea of where you want to go, then yeah. you 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 start to look for opportunities to show what you want to do. Yeah. Show the kinds of things that you want to do, and so. That's where the the self initiated slash art projects came in, and that so yeah. very early on started making work that was from ideas that hadn't necessarily been commissioned to do. So okay. and and by doing that, that that immediately had an impact. Yeah. So the the first or one of the first ones we did was I was interested in what was called new media then, but interactive. Yeah design and we made a cd-rom based around the words word spin um so we uh -huh. had spin radio and we had abstract versions of spin i think we yeah we made some pretty wacky sort of interactive work and uh that was picked up by d it was picked up by creative review magazine at that, that yeah. then was and they showed it on a cd-rom Again, you can look those up on Google if you don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, in a dead format. And that 
was seen by Diesel, Jeans, who Yay. gave us a call. Brilliant. And they, they were launching a, a ski web brand called 55 DSL. And so they wanted something that was kind of like what we'd done for ourselves. Fantastic. For them. So that was brilliant. And as part of that, we started making more motion graphics and uh-huh. filmed work. Diesel have always been quite pioneering in that, haven't they? Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. They gave it a punt and they were, they, I mean, it worked really well for them. It won a lot of awards, got a lot of coverage. And then that was picked up by Channel 4 saw it and we ended up doing their identity. And then Levi's saw it and we really? ended up working with Levi's. And Nike then saw that and we ended up working with Nike. And, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it goes on that sort of yeah. snowball. Yeah, but that, that all stems from basically making something that you want to see exist and then people responding to it. Yeah, that's a great test ground, isn't it? Just put it yeah. out there. People like it, right place, right time. But if you put enough stuff out there yeah. in the right way, you should be able to get people's attention. Yeah, it's very positive. And I think that we've, if, if you've got a niche that needs to be scratched, then you know do it yeah so that's what we tend to do so that's that's and there was it always leads to unexpected results so say for instance the publishing you know the unit editions yeah so you that, set that up nine years ago is it well i don't know yeah something like that something like that <laughs> that started with us doing a like we 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 used to enter enter awards a lot and we were very lucky yeah. we, we we did really well with awards yeah yeah but they were expensive and I, I wondered if there was a better way of spending that money, and we looked at it as a as a kind of a marketing budget, like we would we would invest a certain amount in in awards. But I wondered if if we could spend that money a better way. So we mm. we 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 decided to publish a paper, a newspaper format, thing. right? And the first one we did was on spin, yeah, as kind of an introduction. And then the second one we did was on a reading list for designers. So I so I contacted all these names of people that I'd, I that I really admired. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And asked them what they would recommend students to read. And this is way before the days where you could just Google that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting yeah, information. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that did really well. And then I did. How one did on... you get that out? Did you like physically send it out to people? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, basically, they had to order it through the website, but it was. It was before Google Analytics or anything like that, so we didn't know where the orders were coming from. Oh, the, first, the first three orders we got on online through our website were from one was from Uruguay, one was from Sweden, and one was from France. And we had no idea that people could even see our website. Yeah, it just never even dawned on us. Yeah, never of course. And so that's interesting. So you didn't do it as a new business tool where you just sent it out to loads of people. You no. produced it, and then people came on, which yeah. is a lot. Yeah. Lot stronger way of doing it, isn't it? So people actually come and bought it. Yeah, it did really well. And so, having done three of them, I started thinking publishing would be a good idea because yeah. I'd, we've been working with a, a a kind of conventional publishing in inverted commas, and it hadn't gone super well. And so, I'd, I started thinking that it'd be nice to actually have an, make an independent publisher. Yeah. To, to, to set up a publishing company. And I I really enjoyed the process of making these papers. Mm. So we set up unit editions and I wrote in Adrian Shaughnessy, who's a writer, yeah. to to do it with me. And he it, luckily he was he was interested. So he brought the writing and I brought the design. Yeah. Um, do you still work together? So your recent stuff with Pentagram, um, was that yeah, that was yeah, that was yeah, still working. Before doing that. Yeah. So we made this 
unit editions, uh-huh. and that's that's doing really well. But there's always kind of downtime in any studio, and so I I really try and fill it productively with creative work, basically. Yeah. So you could, yeah, I love the idea that you're just creating stuff, putting it out there, and then it attracts the right people. Yeah, well, you hope so. Yeah, you hope it gets good. If it's good yeah, response, it's, obviously yeah. it's in the right note, so that's yeah. really good. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about when did you start employing your first person at Spin? What's that? when did it start growing? That would have been after about two years, yeah. two three years. The the first person that we employed was a student. We've always invested in in students. It takes people a while to get up to speed, but you find that that was a chance I was given. Yeah. And if if you if you it's it's more about finding it's it's a really strange combination. They now it's kind of partly personality, partly talent, and partly motivation. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to find all of those things. Somebody yes. you really like who's really talented and has all the motivation to learn all the techniques and stuff like that are required in today's world. Like I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Because they didn't exist when I so I know I know how to use InDesign and things like that. But but a student coming into the studio now has to learn how has to know how to contribute to animation and yeah. print and also so it's much tougher in a way. Yeah, it's true. It's a lot more physical yeah. skills to learn that yeah. yeah and not all not all studios rely on that as much as we do but a lot of them do and it's a, a huge advantage yeah. so in in one way it's a disadvantage because they, the students have to learn all this new stuff but it's a massive advantage when they get into a studio if they've got this skill yeah, absolutely because they get better opportunities yeah because they have this this these these new skills so this that's still the case now yeah, motion is going to be. Yeah, it's, it's everything. Extremely. Well, if you think that everything that we design appears on a screen at some point, yeah, absolutely. everything, absolutely everything yeah. we do appears on a screen. So yeah, you just have to have those skills. Yeah. Is there any other stages of growing spin that you move studios or? Yeah, we we got so we start off from our flight in Streatham, and we moved to a bigger house. And we started to grow steadily. We moved, we grew to about six people. Okay, so that so you still had it in the house, but it was yeah. more of a yeah. And then we moved out to a studio, to a large studio, and that was strange because it it coincided. I mean, it's just pure luck, really. But it coincided with a lot of big companies being interested in, in us, so yeah. it grew pretty rapidly to around 35 people. Oh, wow, okay. And I'd never worked in a company that size before or know what, known what the implications were, and it was it was difficult. I was still working on the creative side of things, but I was definitely having to manage more people and yeah. and more processes and what have you then. You just need it with and a the, company, the, yeah. Yeah, the pressures of it weren't, weren't that enjoyable, and I, I ended up, not being that happy with that direction. Were you saying yes to work that you didn't you wouldn't have suggested you didn't have the mouth to feed? Yeah, maybe. And yeah. and also when you get to that size, it's hard to keep a tight and personal and close relationship with everybody. Yeah. You can't. So yeah. we decided to downsize. And again, like before we resigned a couple of clients and we we, yeah. down, we downsized and started to build again so that I had a chance 
to do more of what I wanted to do, which was design. Yeah, absolutely. With a smaller team. And I must say that this, this hasn't meant, made any material difference to the size of the clients that we have. That's interesting. So we still get these sometimes really incredibly prestigious jobs. Yeah. And we just, we're a lot better at focusing on the things that we're really good at yeah. and getting help with the things that we, we, we need help with. So it's a much more pragmatic solution. So say, for instance, when we were 35, we hired, we hired a lot of programmers and technical assistants, stuff yeah. like that, which we now hire in, but as kind of freelance or, or commission based or whatever. Yeah, but, you don't need to actually employ them. Yeah, yeah but that, what that does is that means that you can hire someone who's fantastic for that particular project rather than yeah. all particular projects. Because in, in, the technicalities of, of different projects require different skills. Yeah. And no individual can have all of those skills. So yeah. I'd look at it like hiring a particular photographer or an illustrator or a, a printer yeah. or, a you know, you get the right one for the, the yeah, job. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, it's a much more um, flexible and responsive model yeah. now. So your role today is it go, so it's gone right back to that being the sort of crux of the creative. Yeah, that's course. right. Yeah. 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 But we have a we have a, a really good network of people that we contact for various things. Yeah. Okay. Um, but still we're making we're making a lot of the, the creative output. That's where we are strong. Yeah. Yeah. So God Jay, absolutely you can see that. So what inspires you as a designer today? What's your do you have um, a ways of I, actually inspiring yourself or do you just take it from the world around you? I do. I, th- I think that's the best description is that I I read, I love watching movies, I love going to art exhibitions, I love going yeah. to design exhibitions and I'm a curious person, you know. Yeah. I get a lot I get a lot out of it. And the the way that things go in isn't necessarily the way that things come out. But there was a, a lovely analogy or description of what you need to do as, as a creative person, as a designer, or as an artist, or whatever, is that you, you, if you imagine that your creativity is a jug of water, yeah. and you pour it all out, but you're not putting any more new water in, then you run out. So you have to yes. keep, you have to, and I've done that. I've, I've actually done that in the first two, three years of spin. Yeah, I worked like every sing, yeah, I was, I, I worked every single hour that I could. I worked every single weekend. I think I had one week off in two years. Wow. One weekend off. I didn't have a week off, I had a weekend off. Oh my god. You know, gosh. I was working all the time. Yeah. And then after that, my mind was like a marshmallow or something. I did I had no ideas, no nothing. Yeah. Absolutely wrecked. Yeah. And so I realized that that wasn't such a good idea. And that you yeah. need you need rest you need inspiration you need now inspiration is a funny word because it sounds like you're copying something or something it's not inspiration isn't that inspiration is being curious and and being aware and looking at things and but but your your brain or your 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 soul will sort them out but just just know what's going on i like that the idea that your soul will sort it out so just feeding it with that, that word curiosity keeps coming up time and time again. Yeah. You've got to be a really curious person to be brilliant at design, basically. Well, some somebody described spin, well, my approach anyway, as as being like design therapy. And the most wonderful thing about being a designer is that anybody can ring you up at any time 
and talk to you about something that you know absolutely nothing about. Yeah. And you you don't need to, you, you need it on a really basic level yeah. to want to know about it. You learn so much stuff about you so do. many different types of industries and charities and events, all sorts. Yeah. 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 And people people come in and they they want to tell you because who else are they going to tell? Yeah. Quite often, there's nobody else that they can talk to. So they, they have a requirement or a need or a, something they want to communicate. And your job is to try and help them do that. Yeah, definitely. I've talked about this before, but I like the idea of it designs a little bit like living in the future. So you're always yeah. finding out what's about to happen in lots of different places. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very true. There, there's something about, about not being recipe-driven. Yeah. We have a process that we go through. But the process is loose and like too much knowledge can be a dangerous thing as well. So you've got to be careful to keep the balance right where you can look at something afresh. But no knowledge is a dangerous thing. So you've got to have some knowledge, but you've also got to have, you can't have so much that you get drowned in it and you can't do anything. So it's a a fine balance. But I, I really enjoy the process of meeting a new person hearing about their what they do, yeah. learning about it, you know, I think that's always always an absolutely fascinating thing. And you never know what is going to come through the door. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, really exciting. Yeah, constantly learning new stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Can we talk about the design industry as a whole? Mm-hmm. What how do you feel about the design industry? What what sort of aspects of it do you find challenging? What do you love? Do you feel part of it? Yeah, I do. I think that when you're at studio, you have an individual position as a studio, an individual yes. fingerprint as a studio, which comes over time and is developed and is is enriched and and broadened as it, as you grow. Yeah. And so I don't I don't necessarily look to other designers for anything other than a curiosity to see to see how creatively they're developing. Yeah. It's not I'm not looking to them for inspiration in inverted commas because I know where we are and I know what we're doing. And yeah. so our our work develops from itself. I like to see what people are up to. I think there are a lot of fantastic new young studios around. Yeah. There are. I think that one of the most important things that's happened in the last sort of 20 years has been that the development of expressive typography, of expressive lettering. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, which which okay. came about through the computers. Yeah, absolutely. So so now you see you see people from different countries, different continents contributing really unusual and really unexpected things. Yeah. And that I find really exciting. So I it's a wonderful area to be involved in. And if you think about the, the the scope of work now for a designer, yeah, with screens, who doesn't look at a screen? Certainly in the Western world and and pretty much yeah. the whole world. Period. There can't be many people who don't look yeah. at it daily, if not. Yeah, <laughs> might need more time. So, that. so that all those screens have got graphic design on them. Yeah, all of them, every single one. They've got graphic design on it in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's a lot of opportunity. And somebody's decided the way that that looks and how that should be. Yeah. So the the opportunities for graphic design have have grown from basically print to this unimaginable world where there are billions of opportunities for good design and bad design. It's a really good point. I often hear it the other way around, that technically anyone can be a designer. You just need, you know, set up in your bedroom with a Mac 
but the chances to be a really good graphic designer are hugely yeah. more, well, more than they were 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. The the responsibilities are more, but you yeah. you're you're also you're you're in charge of this communication. Uh-huh. And and the these messages. So if if it was important before, there's no doubt that it's important now. Yeah. They're, 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 you really know. important, yeah. So the more the more talented graphic designers and artists that there are in the world, the better. But it's Definitely. an it's, yeah. Can we finish on that? Top tips for juniors starting out today. What would you advise your younger self, maybe? I think that there are more opportunities for more types of individuals to be more themselves than there ever were. Yes. So absolutely. so there's there's this kind of the like developing as an individual is massively important. I would say that 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 there's there's a place for almost everybody. Yeah. In this in this world. So you you listen to the voices in your head and follow them. But in terms of in terms of giving advice to a young designer who's maybe well if they're, if they're at college it's you need to learn some technical skills you know the days when you could just you could sketch on with a 6 inch pencil and yeah. be a designer at just a just on um, you can't look um, up the no, sketchbook anymore no, you need no, yeah, not, not so much. now you can if you're an, if you want to be an illustrator yeah but you can't if you want to be a graphic designer. Yeah. You, you need some technical skills. Yeah. And I would say that the print side of things is relatively straightforward, but now the motion side of things is unavoidable. Yeah. I did a talk in, in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and I was talking to some students afterwards, and they were saying that they were all interested in silkscreen posters. Mm-hmm. And I was saying to them, that's, that's great. Silkscreen posters are wonderful, lovely. What about digital design? And they were saying, we're not interested in digital design at all. Really? And I, yeah, I was surprised. And yeah. I, I said, but where will your posters be seen? And they said, oh, well, we'll, we'll post them on our, our website. And I said, the website <laughs> is, is digital design. Yes. So who's going to design that? Is going to somebody design that for you? Yeah. Or is that you? So it always comes around to it's going to end up on a screen. Absolutely. So, so you need, you really need to, to take care of that aspect of it. Yeah. Because it's such a, don't look at it as a pain. Look at it as a wonderful opportunity to make things move. For when all the way through my career, pretty much, things didn't move. They just sat there staring at you. Now they can move. Yeah. Imagine what you can do. It's amazing. So I think learning something about motion, about screen design is an absolute basic yeah. now. And then when you, the thing that again couldn't happen in, back in my day, but can now, is that when you when you make a portfolio, you can send it to anybody in the world. So you can email it to yeah. any of the designers in the world, and they will look at it because you can't help but look at it. Somebody sends you yes. a PDF of their portfolio, you're going to look at it, and then you're looking at it. Never going to look better than it does on their beautiful. Apple screen or yes. whatever computer they're working on, others are available. That it's going to look great. So that's a big advantage. I had a skanky yeah. portfolio, which you know they you've got this beautiful clean yeah, P- really PDF. Point. So you know just put as much effort as you can in that. And my final word would be, if you're going to do that, don't make any spelling mistakes. Massively, yes. Learn it's, how to use an apostrophe. Yeah. Don't make spelling mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> it's because it if you're going to do that on your on your 
Pride and Joy, your portfolio, yeah. then you're going to do it on my Pride and Joy project that I'm working on now. You're going to make the same yeah, mistake. Exactly. So, so there's a thing called the paranoid gene. Develop the paranoid gene early. Think that you've made a mistake. You just haven't found it yet. And then you'll find it, hopefully. I like that. Definitely. I'm going to yeah. remember that and tell people about it. Yeah. Tony, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed meeting you today. Thank you. Thank you so much Great for your time. Thanks. Thanks.